ladies and gentlemen, it's your friend, Ashley Van Houten. You're listening to Muscle Maven Radio. Thank you for being here. If you are like me and you love to eat and you love to eat healthy food and you love to make your own food, maybe you're also like me and you're maybe a little fed up with making every single meal at home and the dishes that come with it and a bit of the monotony that comes with it. Um, I feel like we've all been doing a lot more at home eating and cooking during the pandemic. And maybe you've been ordering out more. I mean, I don't blame you because again, it just gets tedious. Um, But I think it's important that we do still kind of stay true to what is the most healthy and nourishing for us, which is generally trying to prepare things ourselves. So we know what goes into it. We know the quality of the ingredients. We can have fun with it even when we're bored. If we're, you know, buying the same things, maybe for you, it's ground beef and chicken breasts. Maybe for me, it's chicken liver and tongues. I don't know, but it's still, it can still get boring, right? But we got to do what we got to do. We have to eat healthy. We have to make food at home, prepare food, um, prep food, do all of that stuff. Um, and so I'm trying to come up with ways personally to make things more interesting for me and to try some different things and not to go through the same um, cookbooks and recipes that I always do. And this, of course, goes with the fact that I have a new cookbook that I'm working on. I don't know if I've actually announced that on the podcast before. I'm sure I've said it on social media. Um, but if not, here you go. I'm writing another cookbook. I've got my first one out called It Takes Guts. That's all about nose to tail organ meat uh, preparation and enjoyment. And this next one's going to be a little bit more mainstream, but still, I've still got some lofty goals for it. I can't tell you the name of it yet. Um, I'm co-authoring it with a very good friend of mine and amazing recipe developer and chef, Beth Lipton. Um, And it's going to be meat-based. I'll say that. It's going to be very protein-forward, meat-based, not organ meats, although there will be some in there. It's mostly going to be just, you know, muscle meat, quote-unquote, regular, normal cuts from all kinds of different animals, um, crossing the whole spectrum. And we want to really position this not as like a you know, um, flex and put this on the barbecue and be a manly man and eat steak. We want it to almost be the opposite and say, look, this is healthy. This belongs in the health section next to the countless plant-based vegan, uh, cookbooks that are put there due to marketing only. Um, you can tell I have strong opinions about that, but we want to show that there are, there's a huge swath of, of the population out there, mostly women, um, but also people who have been marketed to about the morality of a plant-based diet, whose health is suffering because they need protein, they need amino acids, they need the, the health benefits that come from animal protein, and they're not getting it because they've been taught not to eat it. And we're trying to um, show another option. So we're making lots of delicious, lots of really um, variable, interesting, fun recipes that everyone can enjoy um, and everyone can get their heads around. So we're really excited about that. We're working on it. It's going to be done in the summer, early summer. Um, And as part of this process, I'm, of course, doing research, doing lots of recipe development, having a lot of fun with it. And I decided that I wanted to reach out to um, a colleague of mine, I guess I'll say, and someone I've been a fan of for a while, to ask some questions about um, meat prep, 
butchery, meat handling, things like that, because he's a pro in this area. And I've been a fan of his work for a long time. So I asked Ryan Farr um, if I could chat with him and ask him a couple questions. And then I decided, why not put this up as a podcast too, um, so that you guys can learn from him as well. So for anyone who doesn't know, he is a chef, butcher, entrepreneur, author. Uh, He founded 4505 Meats. It's a whole animal meat company. They make a ton of amazing um, products like pork rinds and um, pork crumbles. And they've got a couple new products that um, are coming out soon. He has a restaurant um, in the Bay Area that's awesome. He's written a couple books, one on sausage making and one on whole beast butchery. It's a beautiful book um, that outlines with incredible photography um, how to break down animals. And some of this is maybe more or less applicable for people who are, you know, at home and maybe not breaking down a, a whole cow at home. But it's good for those of us who like to learn and who like to understand how our food gets to us, why it is cut or handled the way it is. Um, So his work is really, really awesome. Um, And I was really appreciative that he was willing to spend some time and talk me through some things. So we talk about stuff like common mistakes um, that the average sort of amateur chef, and I include myself in that category, will make when they are at home um, in terms of handling meat, prepping meat, cooking meat, cutting meat, things that we may do right or wrong on the barbecue, um, different equipment that we may want or need, and maybe things that we don't need. Um, We kind of talk about it all. So that's it. I hope you enjoy uh, this episode. I think it's just super practical. Um, Definitely give Ryan a follow. Check out 4505 Meats. They're awesome. I'm including some of his products in some of the recipes in this upcoming book. So that's going to be fun. And that's it. If you have any questions based on this episode, if you have more questions about how to handle meat, I'm just going to say it like that. Uh, (laughs) Send them to me. Send me an email. Send me a message on Instagram at the Muscle Maven. If you have any questions about just buying, sourcing, understanding meat at all, let me know because these are questions I want to answer in my book. So as always, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your support. I hope you enjoy it. Here is my awesome interview with Ryan Farr. Um, yeah, so I have a creek right next to um, our house and it's there's a lot of kind of erosion happening. And so one of the ways, natural ways you can hopefully fix erosion or at least uh, slow it down is by planting willow trees. And so we have on one section of the Creek is a bunch of willow trees. So about this time of year, you can go and cut the, you know, thick branches off that have new growth um, at an angle as kind of like a spike. And then just jam it about a foot to two feet into the ground along the Creek bank. And as spring comes and summer comes, it starts to root and create, um, you know, a whole line of willow trees. And hopefully that will slow down the, erosion and our house doesn't fall into a creek someday so that's what i was doing this morning so i I have plenty of time because the trees aren't uh they're not running away they're not gonna run away okay i appreciate that all right well i mean i'm already learning more than i expected to you're you're not just about cutting up meat and barbecue you've got so much more to you already so i appreciate that yeah well you gotta respect the wood you know you gotta you gotta respect the wood and nature above all else really yeah 
Um, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. As I, as I was saying offline, you know, I, um, I've, I've been a fan of your products for a really long time. I think you're doing a lot of awesome things. And as I'm putting together and I'm researching for this next book that I have coming out, um, I, I really wanted to kind of tap into your expertise and ask you some neat preparation questions. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that with me today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So maybe just, just, um, quickly first, if you want to just give, um, the listeners, cause we decided we're going to throw this up as a podcast too, so we can teach everybody at the same time. If you could just tell people a little bit about your background in the food industry. Yeah. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Ryan Farr, um, founder of 4505 Meats and 4505 Burgers and Barbecue, um, based here in the Bay Area. Um, I started in the restaurant business washing dishes when I was 15, and uh, so I'm 42 now. So that's what quite a long business, quite a long period of time to be in the restaurant business uh, and the, just the food world. Um, started making uh, 4505 meats chicharrones in my apartment 12 years ago, um, and 12 years ago last week. So it's it's crazy how time flies, uh, and always you know focused around. Um, you know, whole animal utilization, uh, when possible, humanely raised meats, antibiotic free, hormone free, um, pasture raised, you know, it's really, you know, you're gonna, you, whatever you put in your body, you're gonna, you're gonna get out of it. So, you know, you gotta really take care of what you, what, where the product come from, comes from and, and, uh, all aspects of preparation. Mm -hmm. Um, you wrote a beautiful book about butchery. Um, when you wrote that, who were you hoping to reach? Um, and what, cause you know, I get this question a lot with the organ meat thing. Cause they're like, you really expect anybody to read this? I'm like a couple people yeah. will read it, but they'll really like it. Yours is certainly a, a bit more mainstream, but, but who were you writing it for? What were you hoping to achieve with that book? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, cause that was so 10 years ago, started that project. I remember when the editor asked me if I wanted to write a book, I thought she was kidding. And I was just like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. I have no idea what this means. And, um, but at the time I was doing, you know, a lot of, I mean, this is like before Instagram, Twitter just started. So we would like use Twitter to post up our specials at the farmer's market. And that was hosting butchery classes and super DIY time. Everybody was interested in it. And, um, and so I really just wanted to create something that didn't exist for me. Um, and I knew for others as well, uh, be it, you know, professional chef or, you know, even a butcher or somebody at home, because during, you know, being that I'm self-taught, uh, even though I did go to culinary school, you, you can't really learn, you know, animal utilization, whole animal utilization or butchery skills. And so it was really hard to find that info. So that's why I really started putting that in. And in, in before it was a book, it was a blog. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to just have something that would be a tool for, for me as if, you know, I was learning for the first time or, you know, my peers or, or folks at home that were really into it. Cause at that time, everybody was questioning, you know, what, where their meats were coming from and how to prepare it at home. And, and, you know, realizing that there's more to a cow than just a ribeye or filet. And, uh, I, until this day, I mean, you know, the book's been out for quite a, long, a while now for as, as, you know, cookbooks go, you know, there's two big releases every year and it's, you know, so it kind of gets old, but it's still, still doing really great. And, um, you know, my favorite thing and, and what it just means so much to me is when I walk into, you know, a friend's kitchen at a restaurant or I'm visiting a town and I just happen to kind of poke my head into a kitchen and say, Hey, thanks for the meal chef. And I see my book, like all beat up on the, in the, 
the spines coming off and it's just over in the corner where the prep area, I'm just kind of like, man, that's really cool. Cause, cause you know, it's it didn't, you know, never made, you know, tons of money or anything like that, but that's what really means the most to me. And so, you know, having folks in the industry that, um, you know, use it as a tool to educate is, is really, I think for me, the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, compliment and who really kind of, you know, made the book for, um, when it figured, finally, you know, completed everything. And it was, it was a fun process. I mean, it's 500 pictures on how to butcher a pig, lamb and beef. And, and we actually did it in a couple of days. Um, and there was a video along with it, um, which never was released because the, uh, you know, the, there was a big push for uh, virtual eBooks at the times. And, and so, but that never really went anywhere, but it was just kind of funny because when we were filming it and I was, you know, cutting the animal or sawing the bones or, you know, chopping something with my cleaver. Uh, they kept on giggling and I was like, man, what are these guys giggling at the, the film crew? And, you know, finally they're like, Oh, well the sound guy's vegetarian. And so he's like listening to all these sounds. And so, I mean, he said the first day was kind of tough, but, but uh, you know, he got used to it. Good so. for him for being a professional though. Right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Intense. I mean, that's, Exactly. And I think that that kind of goes along with everybody, you know, as much as I'm in the meat industry, you know, I love growing vegetables. I love eating vegetables. And if somebody chooses that they want to be a vegetarian or a pescatarian or a vegan or, or however their lifestyle choice is, I mean, that's awesome. You know, more respect of it. If it's works well for your body and you're healthy, then, you know, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Cause for my book too, probably the only, um, the only criteria for my photographer who ended up being a friend of mine is like, you gotta be just open-minded about what I'm bringing to you. Cause there's going to be kidneys and there's going to be brains and there's going to be all kinds of stuff. You yeah. gotta be able to deal with it. And she did. She, she dealt with it really well. Um, yeah. A couple Sorry. I'm just, one, one more quick thing. I just wanted to yeah. say about, uh, Ophel and, and, and all the innards is that that was one of the best parts of the class when we were butchering, um, the animals with everybody that was just like, didn't have any restaurant experience or butchering at all. And be like, Oh, Hey, we just butchered this animal. We got the super fresh kidneys, super fresh liver, the heart. Let's go ahead and try this. And everybody was just kind of like, like, this is amazing. And then be like, Oh, well, there's all these great health attributes to it as well. And so it was, it's, uh, you know, once you get people kind of like thinking about it a little differently, then you know everybody's all for it, which is, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, having an open mind about it is really the first yeah. and biggest step. Cause I think a lot of people, I mean, there's a ton of people who have been taught that this is extreme and gross and weird, and we need to kind of unlearn that. But there's also a ton of people who just kind of like never even considered that it was an option. They're like, Oh, you can eat like the tongue. Like you could eat that. It's like, yeah, you can yeah. eat you know, most parts of the animal. You just got to know kind of how to do it. Um, a couple things that you were saying that, that resonated with me, one, and this is something in my years of podcasting that it keeps coming up to the point where people think it sounds like a cliche, but it's so true, is that so often um, products or services that are created that are so um, helpful and beneficial come about as a result of somebody just creating something that like they want or that they wish they had when they mm -hmm. were doing a job, you know, and it just, it makes so much sense because if it's something that you see is kind of lacking or missing or something you really want for yourself, chances are other people are going to feel that way too. And mm -hmm. that's how I felt too. I'm like, you can Google, you know, organ meat cookbooks and there's like four of them, right? There's like Chris Cosentino and then a couple like French chefs. And then there's my little one that's much more for sort of like introductory, you know, just mm. like sort of holding somebody's hand and really kind of like, you know, cause some of these books, they're fantastic and they're beautiful and the food's good. But if somebody has never even thought about the idea of eating 
brains or kidney and you open this beautiful book and there's like a 12 step French recipe, they're gonna be like, what do I even do with this? Whereas mine's more like, you can eat kidney. Let me talk mm. to you about it. You know, it's kind of like warming people up a little bit. Um, yeah. Okay, next question. You have all this video content that you've never released. Can you release it? Like I would pay for the video version, right? So I can like watch it being done. Cause that's another thing I feel like people, you know, at home who we eat meat and we love meat, but we consider butchery to be something that's like, that's what the professionals do. Like, I don't know. I just cut the meat when it gets here and hope for the best. But if you can walk us through and we can see it happening, I feel like that'd be super valuable. You should put that out. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that I look way different 10 years ago, you know, very <laughs> baby right? face, you know, just a couple pounds smaller couple. Uh, but okay. uh, That's yeah, vintage. That's vintage. Yeah. I guess it's vintage. We can just kind of have a little vintage look to it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, that, that's a good idea. You know, I'll definitely uh, look into that and see if, uh, if I can talk the publisher into that. Yeah. That will be a good platform. Keep us posted because especially now too, I mean, who knows how long this is going to last, but in our current environment where there used to be butchery classes you could go to and you used mm -hmm. to be able to actually do those things. Now you kind of can't or you don't want to. So being able to do it virtually is so amazing. Funny enough, the last, um, the last social thing I did before the world's lockdown last March, I took a sausage making class for the first oh, nice. time. It was the literally the last thing I did. Like it was just when things were starting, like the news was starting to be like, something's going on. And I was like, oh, I better take this sausage making class before I'm stuck in the house. So that was actually really quite memorable for me. But anyway, cool. okay, moving on. So I don't want you to give away all the secrets to your amazing book, but I would love if you could kind of share some thoughts for us and for me as I'm researching my own book, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people at home chefs, you know, we're not professionals. We just like to, we like to experiment in the kitchen. We're meat eaters. We like to cook with meat. Um, what are some of the like biggest sort of amateur mistakes you see a lot of people making? And that could be with prep, handling, cutting, cooking, anything. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, yeah, I guess this is kind of just making it harder than it really needs to be. Um, you know, cooking meat is pretty nerve wracking for folks that, um, aren't used to doing it, you know, you know, all the time. So there's a lot of, I get a lot of like kind of questions like, am I doing it right? And is, is, should I, should, is, is the pan hot enough? So a lot of these things that that really um, you kind of learn uh, what works well for you with, with experience um, is something you just kind of just kind of like got to jump into and just know that it's okay if you make a mistake because uh, unless you completely burn the whole thing like flames everywhere, you know, it's still edible. You can still eat it. So you just got to kind of calm down and just be, be confident that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Um, and, you know, besides that, I think kind of always say, you know, plan your work and work your plan. Um, it's, you know, it's important to have everything that you think you're going to need while you're cooking, um, whatever kind of protein, um, before you start. So, um, you know, have your salt handy, you know, have your tongs handy, have your pan handy, make sure your, your, your pan can get nice and hot, your resting rack. Cause the last thing you want to do is, especially if it's a leaner piece of meat or a smaller piece of, you know, even like fish, you don't want to have to walk away because you need something. You want to just really be able to stay there and give it the attention, you know, that it deserves. Mm -hmm. Um, and another kind of big thing, it's kind of 
uh, on, on both ends of cooking protein is, is nobody really ever talks about how long to let your meat rest, um, temper before you do it. Um, you know, I cooked some pork chops the other day and it's pretty cold. I wouldn't say pretty cold because we're in California. So, but it was, you know, 50, 60 degrees out. And so I just let the the pork chops sit out in, in, um, in our kitchen for, um, you know, about four or five hours and, you know, they're totally fine. You know, I was going to cook them, you know, that evening. So it just get a much more even cook when you do it. And, um, and also, you know, that with cooking, um, the meats on like a medium high, you're, you're going to really kind of get a slow cook in, internally. And I'll kind of go back to that so I can finish my original thought is in the beginning, you really want to be able to let your meat temper and, and get, you know, be ready to cook. And at the end, you definitely want to let your meat rest. So, you know, the, the, the kind of the main, um, rule here is just give yourself plenty of time and, you know, slow and low. Um, you know, if you want to, you know, get a good char on something, then you can, you know, do that at the very beginning and cook it high heat, or you can also do it at the end. So there's a lot of different formulas of how you can, and really can achieve kind of the same, the same thing. So that's kind of where I go back to just saying, you know, really kind of have a plan and, and, uh, and work your plan. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a resting, you know, take your time, let the meats settle. You know, if you, if you're cooking it, you know, really hot, um, that what happens is the juices inside, they start to boil and you really can't stop the boiling. So then it just like cooks it really fast and cooks it well done. And if you cook it lightly and slowly, you know, it's really going to, you know, take it, you know, keep those juices in there. And, and, uh, um, that's really kind of what you're, what you're looking for when you're, when you're cooking and it's, that's kind of all really general, but might be a kind of confusing for folks that listen to this. I just kind of just jumped all over, but no, I, but, think, that's, uh, but. I think that's helpful. Cause I mean, one of the things you're saying really is like patience is a virtue here, which is something yeah. that I look, one of the things I made your amateur move was I would never let meat rest after we prepped it because I am an animal and I just want to eat immediately. So yeah. it's like, Oh, look, it's done. Like stuff it in my right. mouth instead of letting it wait. So yeah. the idea of like, and I think that's another thing too, we have so much fear around, especially meat safety and whatever. I mean, obviously you wanna have high standards of like cleanliness and food safety, but people think like, if I leave my meat out for a half an hour, it's gonna start rotting and it's gonna be bad. And it's, that's not the case, right? No, yeah. no, it's about a pound an hour, an hour a pound, okay. that's what I would say. Um, and then, you know, with the resting part, if you, you know, cut into your meat and you see it starts to steam, you stop because it's too hot. You you don't want it to steam when you cut the meat. You still, you can still be hot when you eat it, but you want it to be so hot that it steams because if it's steaming, well, what is that? That's just your juices. Yeah. Your juices evaporating. So it's going to be dry. Um, so that's kind of a okay. rules, rules of thumb there. Okay. That's good. That's helpful. Yeah. What about um, at home, like, tools like are there sort of you know you should at least have like this kind of knife and this kind of um pan or this kind of like some things that just we should all have in our kitchen to sort of set ourselves up for success yeah i mean again it's it's pretty it's pretty you know simple stuff it's pretty you know basic there's not any i'm not really big on as much as i worked in restaurants when sous vide was like the you know the rage, you know, I still have a machine. I still will use it sometimes, but you know, I'll use an oven 
a super low, which is kind of achieving the same thing, just just with a little bit of dry heat. Um, but a, but like a good cast iron pan, uh, that's great for cooking at home. Um, you know, if you have a outdoor and a grill, like a really nice small little grill, is great for cooking something quickly. If you if you have the possibility, if you have the capabilities of doing that. Um, I really like um, kind of a Bose cutting board. You know, I have a big one that I use for kind of prep and, and just all around stuff. And then I have a smaller one that I'll kind of bring to the table. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, it's a house of four, you know, two adults, two kids and a bunch of pets. And so there's always so much stuff going on. And, and, uh, you would think as, you know, as soon as I like ring the bell, dinner's ready, everybody's kind of running and like comes to like sit down and I'm like, okay, let's eat, you know, but, Instead, it's, you know, I got to, everybody's kind of trickling in and, you know, it's a constant, you know, battle. It's maybe it's a different, uh, different, you know, interview, but, uh, but yeah, so I like to have like my, you know, my little cutting board, I bring the table. So when everybody's there, then I cut the meat. So it's nice and warm and, and, uh, doesn't uh, juice out, you know, all over. But if you cook the meat correctly, you're not going to have a lot of juice on the plate. It's all going to just be in the meat. So as tools go, you know, a good cast iron pan, a little resting rack is nice, um, depending on, um, your setup, you can have a little rack that you can just actually just put in your cast iron pan. Once you're done searing it, you take your pan off the burner, put a little, little small circular rack in there and then put your meat on top. Um, you know, if it's, you don't want it to be too hot cause it might still continue to cook it. But if, if you're not, if you're cooking something slow and low, then, then you should be fine doing that. Or you can just put it on a plate with a little resting rack, um, to let your meat rest like that. Um, and I, I have a nice you know, meat slicer that I use, but it's nothing fancy. Um, I mean, I think it costs like $40, something like that. I mean, I bought it like 15 years, 20 years ago. So it's been with me for a long time. So it's probably a little bit more expensive now, but it's not, it's just a good carving knife that I use all the time. Um, all right. So we don't have to spend, we don't have to spend like $300 on like a, a fancy Japanese chef's knife if we don't want to. You do not have to, but if you're really into Good. knives, like yeah. I have been throughout my life, yeah. you know, at some point you kind of convince yourself you do have to, <laughs> yeah. but you, you could, you could get by with a nice sharp knife. Um, the, sharpening knives is, you know, there's a lot of places now where you can just take them and drop them off or you can, I'm sure there's plenty of resources on YouTube that would teach you how to use a whetstone. Yep. A Japanese whetstone, that's a pretty good investment because you can sharpen pretty much all your knives that way. Um, and, um, you know, and I think when it comes to knives, really just kind of have, you know, have just using one knife for everything isn't um, that good for the knife because you're going to end up dulling it and it's sometimes it might get too far dull to be able to get sharpened easily. So, you know, having your carving knife, having like a chef knife, having a little petty knife, repairing knife, um, it's just, uh, you know, five or six knives is yeah. good investment. Okay. What about, and I guess this would be very individual based on the type, like the meat, the cut, the, the recipe, but like, I guess if we're just saying like steak, um, are there any kind of rules, general rules for seasoning? Like, do you season first? And then again, do you only season at the end? Like, is there, you know, in terms of just spices and salting and stuff like that, is there anything that we should know or things that people are doing wrong? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I probably could have, I should have brought that up in the beginning. Um, but yeah, seasoning, you know, is is huge. Um, 
I, you know, though going back to those pork chops that I let sit out and, and temper for five hours, you know, I seasoned those before. And so, you know, when I, we cook pork chops or, or, or you know, ribeyes or any sort of cut of meat um, that's not too tough, about an inch to two inches thick. That's just nothing, nothing thinner than an inch, um, unless it's like a, you know, a short rib or something like that, that we want to cook high heat. So, but yeah, so I salted um, before it rested. And what happens is that salt just kind of slowly seeps into the, throughout the meat, which is what you want. Because if you just season right before, how are you going to be able to season that meat in the middle? If you just put the salt on the outside, um, and same with the, your spices and stuff, but salt's really one of the only kind of ingredients that is going to seep into the meat. Um, not, you know, some spices will as well, but not as much as salt. Um, and so, you know, I did that and then I'll go ahead and slightly season before I cook again. Um, and each time I'm being pretty heavy with the salt, uh, because when you season so far ahead of time, all that salt just kind of all disappears. It's not as, it's not salty. It's just like lightly salted inside. And so you also do want to season the outside again. So that crust or whatever you're, however you're cooking it is going to have the flavor too. And then at that point, you know, I'll serve with a little, um, little gray salt as well. Um, and so, yeah, basically seasoning three times and it sounds like it's pretty excessive. Um, I've never done NFP on the uh, pork chops or steaks that, you know, are cooking at home, but, um, it's it, nobody thinks they're salty. Actually, my daughter doesn't think they're salty enough. And she also really likes, you know, well, that's so. like a whole other topic too, is, you know, we were talking offline about how there really is this kind of like strong narrative that meat is more of an indulgence. Meat is more of like manly food. Meat isn't a health food necessarily in a lot of circles and a lot of mainstream circles, especially. And there is still that same outdated information about salt being bad for you and how you should be avoiding salt. And um, generally speaking, I mean, obviously there's, there's much more nuance to it depending on what your unique kind of challenges or health issues are. But generally speaking, it's more the kind of the quality of the food and the type of food you're eating than if you are salting your steak and vegetables with a high quality salt. That's not usually something we need to be concerned about. And then it's also the same for like butter and we're, we can talk about cooking fats and stuff too. I mean, the reason why you go to a restaurant and the steak tastes better is usually because there's probably more butter and salt on it than you would put on it at home, right? Because we're scared because we think that that's yeah. so much that's so bad for you. Um, so yeah, maybe talk a little bit about the the butter fat situation too. Yeah. So you got to think of salt as, as two things. Well, at least I do as two things. One, it is a item that helps lift up flavors in a main ingredient. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a good kind of supporting actor that you don't know is there. So when you season ahead, you know, the salt should you shouldn't really taste it as salty, kind of like I said before. And the other way of thinking of salt is as its own ingredient. Mm -hmm. So that is like how, why it's really nice to, to sprinkle some, you know, nice salt, crunchy salt on your finished uh, steak because it's, it's its own ingredient. You want to kind of enjoy that like salty little bite with the steak itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's not something that you want to have like in the whole dish in the sense of like, uh, let's say, you know, macaroni salad, you know, mayonnaise based macaroni salad, as much as, you know, it's a ha it has, it has space for in my heart. Um, it's, it's like, 
the mayonnaise is super salty and then and then you you're cooking there the pasta with salt as well and so the whole thing is like super savory and salty and that is like your body's like ooh, i don't really i can't eat a lot of that because it is so salty so to me that's like a different thing than like seasoning a piece of, of meat um and the same with butter you know if you're using if you're using butter as you know let's talk you know like if you got you know just cook some nice bread and, and you want to have some butter and salt on it, or actually flour tortillas. I've been making flour tortillas a bunch. And so I warm up these fresh flour, for, flour tortillas and I put a little unsalted butter on it and a little, um, you know, Florida cell. And it's delicious. So it's like three ingredients that I'm, that I'm trying there. But if I was going to use salted butter, it's just a different it's just a different kind of flavor. It's more, more of that kind of like salty flavor that we've been kind of taught is not good for you. Mm -hmm. So, so I, that's why I look at it as its own individual ingredient or in in some that's in a dish that you don't know is there. You don't use so much that it's like salty. So I don't know um, really if that kind of answers your, your question. Um, No, that's helpful. That's helpful. But, But yeah, but I mean with butter, it's like, if you're using unsalted butter, I, and you're using it to cook and cook with protein or, or, you know, lift up a soft sauce or something like that. Like you, you know, I definitely use more than what people think is being used. That's for sure. Hey everybody, just interrupting the podcast for a hot minute. I got to tell you, I'm very pleased and excited that I have a new show partner and a new healthy offering for you guys. I've teamed up with a company that you may already be familiar with since they are big players in the healthy supplement world. I'm talking about Organifi. They're the makers of a line of superfood blends you can mix into your beverages, your smoothies. They're super low in sugar and high in nutrition. Now, you may be thinking, hey, Ashley, aren't you the organ meat woman? You don't eat a lot of vegetables. I'd have to say, yeah, that's mostly correct. (laughs) But I'm not anti-plant. I'm not anti-vegetable. I am just very pro animal protein and nutrient density. And I'm pro finding ways to add the most variety of high quality nutrients to your diet as you can for your lifestyle and your diet. So while many people might eat salads every day, they might consider themselves plant-based, but maybe they supplement with things like organ meat pills or whey protein because they recognize the value, I kind of come at it the other way. I like to prioritize nutrient-dense meat and supplement with things like, for example, Organifi Red Juice, which I think tastes really good. It's loaded with tons of fruit and veggie-based antioxidants. It's got adaptogens. It has things like cordyceps and reishi and rhodiola, which I'm usually taking separately. So now I can put it all together. Super easy and convenient. And it means I don't necessarily have to waste my time buying a bunch of vegetables when I'd rather eat a steak with a red juice on the side. You got to find balance, people. That's it. We got to understand at the core that food is about nutrition and fuel. It's not about identity or someone kind of being better than anyone else. It's just about finding the balance and the nutrition that you need. So Organifi has a few different offerings. They've got the red juice, like I said, which is, I think, probably my favorite. They have a greens juice or powder that goes great in smoothies. They've got uh, Organifi Gold, which is a really good calming drink, like for the evening after dinner. It has turmeric and lemon balm. They just came out with some single-serve packets rather than tubs. You can kind of bring it with you wherever you go. The quality is amazing. It's convenient, and it improves your health and your immunity, which is something that I know a lot of us are focusing on right now. So 
If you want to try some tasty, drinkable superfoods, add it to your already amazing organ meat-filled diet, I'm sure. Uh, you can go to Organifi, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Muscle Maven. That's in the show notes too. And use the code, of course, Muscle Maven for 15% off. Let me know what you think. If you have any questions before you buy, send me a message either on email or Instagram. Uh, I'll do my best to get you the information you need because the company is really transparent and great about answering your questions. That's what I'm trying to be about too. So that's all. I hope you try it. I hope you like it. Now back to the show. Is there ever a time when you would recommend or when it would be beneficial to use salted butter instead of just butter and then putting maybe your own salt on it at different parts of the cooking process? You know, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I'm classically trained uh, French uh, chef, like my background before getting into butchery and, and, you know, salted butter just doesn't really, doesn't like really exist mm. in that. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's bad or, or it's not good. I'm sure a lot of people love salted butter, um, but I've just never, I've never used it because, um, not because of what it is, but because I also want to add the salt. I want to be able to control the salt. So if I'm putting, if I'm making biscuits, um, you know, I'm, I don't want to use a salted butter because I don't actually really know how much salt is in there. Then it throws my recipe out because I don't know how much salt I need to use. And so for me, it's, it's more of, I look at unsalted butter, the same as like lard or, or like olive oil, like it's its own item. It doesn't, it doesn't need, it shouldn't have salt in it. Yeah my applications yeah that makes sense yeah um what about barbecue do's and don'ts because you know you were talking before about oftentimes with a lot of prep low and slow being better and you don't want to kind of cook things too quickly because then it's you're going to overcook it easily and i find i'm not I, I don't do the barbecuing in my family i don't i'm scared of it i don't touch it i i shouldn't say that being somebody who's writing a book but like the barbecuing i need to work on that i that's an area that I need to kind of get more into. Um, but I feel like there's sort of maybe less ability to control the heat a little bit with a barbecue. Like how do we, what are some things we should know? Ooh, yeah. So kind of quick little <clears throat> side note, what's going on in my life right now. Um, you know, we just uh, moved to this new house and we had to cut down about cause they were um, needed to come down about seven large, massive Oak trees. And you know, since COVID, I put on a little, uh, some little bit of LBs and all my friends were like saying, oh, you should get a Peloton. You should do this. And I was like, nah, I'm going to just chop wood. So I've been like chopping wood for, um, the, for the past couple months and uh, have about 12 cords of wood stacked up in our backyard. It's a massive amount, but um, it's a great workout. So I, I bring up the wood because it's all about, for me, it's all about the wood when it comes to barbecue and not so much of each type of wood has its own flavor so that is just kind of like an ingredient that you can decide what you like but wood of the sense of it's your fuel for cooking cooking the meat um or you know whatever you're cooking so if you have you know good wood that's not too dry or it's not too wet you can really kind of control your fire with the amount of wood that's in there and the amount of air that's allowed into the, the firebox um but it's it's for sure a, a a technique that is is not it's very different than just turning on the stove mm -hmm. um and it really it's just one of those things too where you just need to have a lot of time and it's 
it's uh, you know cooking barbecue, not necessarily cooking uh, on the grill, but cooking barbecue in a smoker. And that, a lot of that time that you just need to kind of sit around and just kind of stare at the fire and just kind of learn what the fire does. And um, that's just kind of the beauty of of cooking you know, barbecue is, is you just got to like chill out, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's in a way it's kind of like fishing, you know, you just got to sit there and, and watch the fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then really just, just learn, learn about, you know, how the heat is conducted. Um, and, and really the airflow is really important when you're talking about cooking meat you know, smoking meat, because, you know, you really want to be able to get as much of that heat in there, but you don't want to have tons of smoke either, but you want to have some smoke. Um, so really it's, it's, uh, uh, can get pretty detailed, you know, pretty quickly, but you really can't do any of that stuff if you don't have some nice wood. Um, you know, I know that some folks, uh, another really can eat simple kind of hack to is to, you know, have some bris- briquettes, get them going and then put some wood chips on there. Cause those briquettes, the coals, it's, it's much easier to, to, to control the you know, heat in a barbecue. If you have coals and it's basically what you're doing when you're, when you're cooking, you know, starting with wood is you're, is you're creating them to coals and then, and then you can kind of regulate your, your, uh, temperature that way by taking some out or putting some more coals on. Um, but yeah, if you have a nice coal base, you can put some wood chips on there and then they'll smoke whatever you're, whatever you're wanting to smoke. And, and it's really kind of key to when you're, um, when you're smoking meat, you gotta, you really want that smoke to adhere to the protein. Um, and so that usually will happen, um, in the, in the first like hour, or a couple hours of the process, depending on the size of the meat. So you think you're putting in, you know, a, a wet piece, you think about it, you're putting in a wet piece of protein and you're adding in this smoke. And so the smoke is kind of mixing with that moisture and it's in the, in the drier and drier it gets, the more that smoke sticks to the, to the meat. So at some point you've basically the fire has sucked all the moisture out of wherever the meat is. And so all you have there is dry heat. So right before that happens, when the fire is sucking all the moisture out is when the smoke really sticks to the protein. And so if you start with a fair amount of smoke, that's really what's going to set the flavor and, and the uh, kind of start to really give you a good smoke ring. And then the, the, you know, second half or two thirds rest, rest of the period of time you're cooking is really that point. You're just focusing on getting that tender, um, you know, juicy, um, protein. Okay. I, I like this. And rest. You can't, you can't forget the rest. You got to rest it and rest it. Yes. I, but I like this answer because it also is kind of speaking to something I've talked about before where, and I know it's easier said than done when you have busy lives and you have kids and you have work and you have all of these things, but this concept of kind of being willing to invest more time and dedicate more time to the process of making your your food, right? Like, and maybe people could say that this is incorrect, but like with things like baking, which is a lot more of a science, right? It's like, here are the ingredients. You need to do it this way. If you don't do it this way, your cake's going to be garbage, whatever. With cooking some things, it is a little bit more about like the experience and the experiment and like a little bit here and try this and try that. And it might be a little different for, on your barbecue than on my barbecue and all of these things. But being willing to just kind of accept that like, I'm going to stand in front of this barbecue for a while. I'm going to look at it and I'm going to smell it and I'm going to sit here and like, I'm going to 
play around with things like there isn't always an exact answer that someone can give you. This is exactly how you barbecue and make sure it's perfect every time, except just sort of being present with it and like enjoying the process a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I, I like that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this time I was going, uh, my good friend of mine, a Japanese chef, he's a big surfer. And I was like, dude, can you teach me how to surf? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then finally we went. Um, and I was just so excited because I just I just really wanted to be able to surf. And and um, I'm like totally amped. You know, I, I'm a pretty big guy. I have a wetsuit on. I look like a seal. So I'm already kind of freaking out that the sharks are going to get me. And and I get up and I walk up to him and, and he looks at me. And he's like, okay, you ready? And he looks out and says, you have to let the wave push you. And then he just like took off. And so it's like, that's like in, in his kind of like wisdom way. And it's like, it's so right. But you got to like, he's like, just let, let the wave kind of push you along. And so I don't know, it's kind of random thought, but, but yeah, I mean, barbecue is really kind of the same way. You got to kind of, you know, become the meat. I know that is really far out there, but it is you just got to like, imagine yourself in that smoker, you know, if you're at that temperature, you know, are you ready yet? You know, what do you need? And so I'm kind of contradicting myself because I was saying, don't get too anxious about it. You know, earlier, you know, it's okay. You can mess it up. But at the same time, it's like, it just really takes a lot of um, just kind of, yeah, just hanging out with the, with the fire and and just doing it is repetitive and and you know if it doesn't turn out right then does no big deal you can just do it again yeah. you know um, yeah. it's uh, but just for the record I'm really bad at baking so um, you know the following the science and, and the exact you know I'm pretty into to to you know math and and I love science and and but when it comes to baking there's just there's no uh, it's just not like cook, cooking savory or cooking barbecue, yeah. you know, just making adjustments on the fly and, and yeah. everything's always changing. So. Yeah. To be fair, I feel like people's brains are like more suited for baking or more suited for cooking. Like I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are good at both, but like one's going to come more naturally to you for sure. Right. So yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but it, do you have any maybe parting thoughts for people who, because one of the things I talk about in my book too, is if you're just kind of dipping your toes into this, whether it's butchery or organ meats or whatever, and you're maybe a little intimidated, you're interested, but you're like, I don't really know. You know, some advice that I give people is that you can take baby steps with this stuff. You don't have to go from eating like grocery store chicken breasts boiled to eating tongue and kidney, right? Like you can work your way up to it and you can do things like having a butcher, for example, um, pre-mix like ground beef with a little bit of liver and heart and kidney for you so that you don't have to do it. You don't have to handle it yet. You don't have to prep it yourself. It's already done for you. Or, you know, going to restaurants and getting a tongue taco or something so that you can see how these things are prepared deliciously by professionals before you kind of attempt it yourself. So, you know, some like baby steps. And maybe there are people who would be interested in your book because of its beauty and, and because they like to learn about it, but they're like, never, I'm never going to sort of do this stuff myself. I'll, you know, it's just kind of good for like a learning experience. So do you have 
any advice for people who are going to be like making best friends with their butcher, um, questions to ask their butcher in terms of like, what are the best cuts for best recipes or how do I know what's really good quality or just kind of like one-on-one, um, you know, if somebody's eating a lot of meat, cooking a lot of meat, and they're going to start having a relationship with their butcher, like what kind of general sort of questions and stuff they should know or things that they should ask. Yeah. No. Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, to start, I would say for sure do the, the ground beef ground with, uh, mixed with the liver or the heart, um, or even the kidney, but that, yeah, that like 30, 70 mix, even 50, 50 mix, it just gets kind of, um, soft to handle, but I mean, it's so good. And I was just completely thrown back when I tried it because it didn't even taste like liver at all. It was a super delicious, um, I am a big fan of that. And yeah, somebody, your butcher can mix that for you and, and, uh, you could just cook it and, you know, you really don't even know, know that it's there, but you're getting all the, the benefits from um, eating the hopeful. So, but yeah, I would, you know, assuming that you, you are close to, you know, a butcher and, and, and they're, you know, excited to, to be there and they're excited about what they're selling. You know, one of the things that I always, you know, when I was working the counter, but always try to, to do is to find out um, what the customer, how they're wanting to cook that evening or how they're wanting to cook with what they're buying. So for example, like if, you know, if you're coming in and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? Are you, are you, do you have time to, to hang out and let something kind of cook for a while? Or is it kind of crazy and you need to cook something quickly because the kids are all running around or you got a bunch to do for work. And so that right there, you know, that will decide which direction we're going, you know? So now we've eliminated 50% of the, of the possibilities, which that's the kind of difficult time when you go into a butcher shop and there's just this case of all this meat and you're like, Oh man, you know, what am I going to do here? And so if I'm like, Oh, all right, well, well, we're going to do something that's, you know, cooks quickly. It's like, okay, well, what, what's the next question is, is uh, what kind of protein are you thinking of eating there? Is it lamb, chicken, beef, pork? And it's like, Oh, you're thinking pork. Okay, cool. Well, right here, check out these, you know, these nice little uh, pork chops we got, you know, it'll take you about 10 minutes to cook on a pan and, and you're ready to go. And so I go into the, when you, you know, when you go in the butcher shop, kind of think about that, you know, and, and maybe, maybe ask the question. I haven't trained the butcher, so I can't like tell him this is or tell him or her, this is what you should be asking the customer, but kind of do reverse, like be like, Oh, Hey, okay. I'm, um, hello butcher. You know, I got about, you know, two hours this weekend to cook something. What do you suggest? I'm like, Oh, well, let's do like a stew. Cool. Well, here we got this awesome. Oh, or you think what kind of meat am I thinking? I'm thinking lamb. Okay. What do you got lamb? That's like a long cook. And it's like, Oh, here's some lamb shoulder, you know? So it's kind of like, thinking about how, what the possibilities you have for your applications, your cooking applications, and then let that kind of drive the conversation. And then just trust the butcher that, that he or she's going to give you, you know, what, what's the best that they have. And you should be getting the best if that's the place you've chosen to shop at, Um, you know, because yeah, it's really daunting to just kind of go into um, a butcher shop and be able to walk out with something and feel confident, you know, what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Um, so I get that a lot of times that like people be like, Oh, I'm so excited about this meat. And they'll be wrapping it up and they'd be like, but what, wait, what do I, what am I doing with it? Yeah. Um, I'm excited. You're excited. What, what am I going to do? I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so hopefully the butcher shop has like cards and stuff, cooking things that they can kind of share with you. That's always really helpful. Um, but there's obviously a lot of uh, resources online too. 
Yeah. And, and I love the fact that you are saying like, use, use the butcher's knowledge, but also have some concept of what you're thinking going in. Because it's like, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you ask the waiter, you're like, what's good. And it's like, come on, what kind of question is that? Like, say like, I love pork. Like what's the best pork dish or like, yeah, yeah, like give them a little something to work with because they're not you, they're not in your head. They're not at your house. They can't give you expert advice about what would be the perfect meal for you to cook tonight. Like give them a little something and let them kind of give you some suggestions, but to just go in and be like, Hey, what should I buy butcher from this massive, you know, come on. Well, that usually ends up the person's like, Oh, Hey, what's, what's good. Or what should I buy? And it's like, check out this out. Yeah, I was I was thinking about just getting chicken breast. And it's like, well, why are you asking that question? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, okay. Um, that's really helpful. Um, I could keep you here all day, but I won't. I know you've got some trees to, to deal with, but I, I really, really appreciate your time. Also, can I just have like one quick aside because I promise we did not plan this, but we are both wearing tie dye t-shirts right now. And I am so into it. And I yeah. also love, we were talking offline about how as silly as it is, this whole like meat conversation tends to be very like gendered. Like I get so many women, you know, in my line of work who are telling me that they feel guilty about eating red meat, red meat so heavy. And in all my research, all these meat-based books were like so overtly marketed towards men. And, you know, with my book, that's, I'm trying to do the opposite opposite of that. I want to be like, you know, women eat meat, stop feeling guilty, like yeah. nourish yourself. It's delicious. But I love that you're wearing a pink tie dye t-shirt and I'm wearing yeah. a blue one. <laughs> like, come on, this, this is how it starts. Okay. We're yeah, starting totally. a revolution here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Right but uh, anyway, you, you do amazing work. Your products are awesome. I'm incorporating um, a lot of your stuff actually in the new book. So we'll see that as it comes out, but um, your pork rinds and crumbles and all the delicious stuff are going in quite a few recipes. So I will keep you posted on that. Um, But I I appreciate your time. I appreciate your support. And um, just maybe maybe tell folks if they want to get the book or um, check out your restaurants or get your products where they can go. Yeah. Um, Ryan, well, the book is the book we're referring to the whole beast butchery is available on Amazon or on our website, um, signed copies on the website and also wrote a sausage making book that is also on Amazon and on our website. Um, they're both, um, kind of very similar in the sense that, you know, it's a good DIY. And even if you don't think you're ever going to be making sausage or bushing a whole cow, it's just awesome to have around to be referred to, especially if you're kind of doing a little prep before you go to the butcher shop. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, all of our chicharrones and cracklins, you can get um, at a lot, all major grocery stores in the United States and amazon.com. And we're actually coming out with uh, some new products that I'll be excited to, to, to share with you soon. Um, and then if you're in the Bay Area, come to our barbecue restaurant in San Francisco um, and to visit our own Grove, 4505 Burgers and Barbecue. Nice. Um, so yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, I will, I will be there soon. As soon as uh, I'm actually currently in Canada right now, I go back and forth a lot. But once, you know, once they... Once it's a great spot, you know, yeah. our, our travel restrictions. I mean, I have a U.S. passport, but our travel restrictions are like a little bit nuts right now. So as soon as they don't make me like hide in a hole for a month when I return, mm-hmm. I'll come out and uh, and have a good meal at the restaurant. I'm excited. Right on. Well, we'll be here. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. You got it. Take care.
All right. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned a little something. Um, Thank you again to Ryan for taking the time to help me out as I pull this book together and give me some useful advice. Uh, It's always very appreciated. And make sure uh, you check him out. Check out 4505 Meats. Their products are amazing. Um, Their pork rinds are delicious. They've got some new products coming out I'm super excited about. His book, Whole Beast Butchery, is beautiful and interesting. And even if you are not somebody who's going to be breaking down whole animals in your kitchen, if you're somebody who eats those animals and enjoys that process and likes to learn, this book is is awesome for that. And of course, reminder, while you're waiting for my new and very exciting meat-based book, you can check out It Takes Guts. In the meantime, you can get it uh, anywhere bookstores are sold. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I promise it's not scary. There's a couple recipes in there that are, you know, maybe a little adventurous, a little out there, but that's for fun. And that's, you know, for the adventurous people out there, the rest of it, there's desserts in there. There's cake, there's chocolate, there's salads, there's all kinds of tasty stuff in there that just happens to be a little extra nutrient dense for you. So check out It Takes Guts, check out Whole Beast Butchery. Thank you again, as always, to my sponsor, Organifi. These guys are awesome. They're keeping me healthy um, while I'm still waiting for summer to officially hit, or spring, I should say. Any warm weather will do. Um, Head to Organifi.com forward slash Muscle Maven. Use the code Muscle Maven. You get a full 20% off. They've upped the discount for you um, to try some of their superfood beverages. They taste good next to a steak, okay? Next to some beef liver. Why not get the best nutritional bang for your buck? and eat everything you can that is nutrient dense. Um, If you're eating mostly meat like I am, you're just not getting a lot of these um, antioxidants and kind of fun adaptogens and stuff that you'd be getting from a bit more of a plant-based diet. So check out Organifi. They're awesome. They're giving you 20% off code muscle maven, and I'll see you here next week. Thank you as always for listening.